Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast, and you are in for a treat today. I have watched this amazing woman, heart-centered leader, Carol Sanford, in her TEDx Talks. I have recently purchased a book she has just written. Carol is known for decoding your business DNA and aligning work systems to it to yield game-changing innovation, market leadership, and enduring financial returns. She is consistently recognized as a global thought leader, working side-by-side with Fortune 500 and new economy executives in designing and leading systematic business change and design. Through her university and in-house educational offerings, Carol brings global speaking platforms. She's a multi-award winning author and does an incredible amount of human development work. She works with executive leaders who see the possibility for change through developing people and work and igniting motivation everywhere she goes. For over four decades, Carol has worked with great leaders for many successful businesses such as Google, DuPont, Intel, P&G, and several others. She has educated them to develop their people and ensure a continuous stream of innovation that continually delivers extraordinary results. So Carol, it is such a delight for me. Welcome to the show. What imperfections do you think you bring to heart-centered leadership? So I have a very different way of thinking about the idea of imperfect, and I told you I would mention that. I think that we have two sets of being. We have personality, which is how we're conditioned, socialized out in the world, and our parents, our schools, our jobs make a mess of that, and we very easily slide into it. But we have something else, which is, and and by the way, I'll tell you how I deal with imperfections from, for me and for all my uh, members of my uh, institute. Um, The major thing that keeps one steady is not personality, but what I call essence. And essence is something that describes what we are, that if it went away, we wouldn't be us. It's not conditioned. I don't know whether it comes in with us at birth, but I've often suspected that because it is so constant. For example, and I do this essence reveal work with my membership communities and teach them how to do it because it's in every living entity. Uh, It is um, in the life shed we look at, in each child that is born, in each... um, member of my organization, each citizen, they each have their own unique essence. But in personality, 
I say there are three imperfections of which I'll give you my examples of where mine are, but most of them don't even matter because unless you have had, and I got to have a really troubled life, troubled childhood, uh, parenting, et cetera, you only need to actually work on a few of them anyway. I think what we get in trouble about is all the world views about the category we're supposed to fit in and the generic definition of that and anything that doesn't fit that generic definition of the category you've been put in, whether that's race, gender, um, uh, professional attitude, makes you by other people's standards imperfect. And I, I do give people three arenas for imperfections to look at that um, one of them is recycles. By that, I mean, every time a situation comes up, we wish would go different, we have to solve it again. Mm -hmm. I have a few of those, right? And so I, I always bring and have to self-observe and decide whether it fits or not is I've got a lot of good ideas and I can hear your question from the thing I wanna say rather than being present and Given that my work is to be present, I have to notice, and that one I want to work on. But, you know, it, it, there's that one is my chosen look at me, my chosen understanding of me, where the imperfections I have by society standards are being very direct and confrontive. I will often say to people, I could just do, well, I see that different than you do. Or sometimes I am less subtle and I'll say, nope, 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 nope. And as a way of uh, seeking to create a conscious shock, most people consider me rude, interruptive. Uh, and until they come to know that my essence is disrupt certainty. While I have this life and this body, I work to disrupt my own, not use an idea I've used before, not write into a, a material I'm going to do with my members. I have to disrupt my own past answers. Unless I'm doing that, I don't have the permission to do that with others. So I bring some chosen, but also some what people would argue are incredible imperfections I should get fixed. That's I, a little I, different way of answering your question. No, but, but I love it. And I, I always joke with uh, some of my girlfriends and even some clients to say the best weight loss we'll ever lose is that of other people's opinions of us. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I really love that. I haven't had anybody frame it like that. So there you go. Good. <laughs> okay. My third question is if you could, I know there's many. If I asked you to name the number one leadership challenge that we're facing right now around the world, what would you put as a precedent? So I have two that are permanent. Critical thinking skills by systems thinking, ability to see systems at work. So we work on the many that you just listed, the issues, the challenges, all that kind of stuff. We don't learn to be able to think systemically coupled with, that's why I can't do one without the other, is inability to manage our own uh, personal uh, actions and thoughts. We can't see ourselves. We can't uh, 
be self-managing about the being and the state of being that we bring. And you couple those together and you get a nation at war, you get politics in an office, you get uh, religious groups who don't even think they're working on the same thing and all think the others are evil, et cetera. So those two to me are the core and they're so interwoven. And the companies I work with usually end up adopting or writing their own version of what I call global imperatives. And they all include something like democracy can't work without critical thinking skills and personal development. And by the way, true for business too, and families and schools. So to me, those are, they're like a yin and yang. They're intricately interwoven. And that's what my life's work is about, is building those two capacities. I choose to do it with organizations uh, and with individuals who are members rather than, although I work a lot with schools and I have a group called the Regenerative Educator. And in that group, we talk about what intelligence means is that critical system thinking intelligence and self-managing intelligence. That's the work of schools and doesn't get done in schools. So long well, answer. I, I love that because I my schooling is is in neuroscience and what you're talking about is is what we coin as executive functioning and critical thinking. It belongs in every place of our life, regardless of what activity. So I, I so love I that. Did, I did my doctoral work in neuropsychology also. And what I say is it's whole brain function. And I think the mistake with neuropsychology was that they're looking at the frontal lobes, the executive function, which is there, but it's really learning to use the aspect of the brain or with the right mind doing that because there is work for the reptilian brain to do, but it, we don't ever use it for that. We use it for panic and fear and, you know, eat our young, uh, but it's, we need to learn how to do that and how to manage it with the upper functions. And so um, you're, you're, I agree with you around the idea of executive function in developed, but I also think we don't develop a way to overcome our relationship kind of part of our brain. And, and I wrote an article, my God, it must be 25 years ago, that ended up in a book that talked about how to use your whole brain and for the right work, each aspect doing its right work. So that we could have a whole podcast just on that, Carol. Yeah, we could. We'd have a fun conversation on that. Now, I was watching um, one of your videos because you have so much richness on the internet from your articles to your blog to your podcast. You are an intentionally, I'm not going to say busy, you're an intentional professional woman. And there was one quote that I, I grabbed out and okay. it was making promises beyond ableness. Yeah. So my last question is, where did that quote derive from? And I know you do some, some leadership model work around this, and I would love to hear the insight of where this came to fruition for you. Okay, so uh, I don't ever do it separately from a large system change because and I have people borrow the term because they love it. When I, I made it up probably 35 years ago, because when I work in an organization, we work for three to eight years and I don't le do leadership separate from strategy, separate from work design. 
That's why it's three to eight years. And I say that really what you're working with is helping people learn to operate with principles, with purpose and with promises. But the, the place it came from was work we designed because we have designed work to be delegated, comes from the top, uh, hierarchically organized, and they, I don't believe there's a leader level. I want to redesign work so leadership is a process everyone engages in. And I don't ever give people a here, do this. But I introduced the idea of creating a different kind of infrastructure than hierarchy. And it's not about getting rid of supervisors. I don't get rid of anything. So I'm going to tell you a quick story to see how this shows up. In South Africa with Colgate Palmolive, where I worked for three years as um, Nelson Mandela was coming off Robben Island and uh, was just about to be elected um, president of the country, we, I was brought to South Africa by Estelio Sesos, an amazing general manager, and said, we don't have any of the conditioning, but we have some promises that Mandela has asked of us. One is that we have the ethnic and tribal mix uh, at the, in the organization be the same, it was, this was in the constitution, the same as the community, it has to look the same. So in Colgate at that point, the top of the organization was 95% white and the population was 97% black Africans. So uh, Stelios made a promise beyond ableness. And what we meant by that was we all joined him in committing to this idea. And we had five years to do it in the constitution, but we did it in six months. Now, you can't just do that. You can't restructure, throw people out, or you would have created chaos in everybody's worst fear. Because the black Africans had not been allowed to go to school. It turns out it's an incredible blessing because they would have been conditioned in the colonial model of being in school. They were so ready to create that we early in the process, and usually I don't introduce promises beyond ableness until after the second year. We spent every um, four weeks, I think it was, in all day events, building their critical thinking skills, building their ability to understand markets, understanding earnings, margins, and cash flow. And at the uh, end of a session, I think the second one, we said, if you could do something that would grow the business and, it, and for a particular entity, so promises beyond ableness are not things you don't know how to do, but you're gonna do it. Their promises mean to someone. So Isaac Michiel, my first book, I wrote this story. Isaac Mitchell, who lived in Soweto Township, said our children and most of our adults have rotting teeth. And I sit here and work in this company that's oral health. I want to do two things. I want, and he was a detergent tower operator. This was not a senior manager, but he was super smart. And he said, I want to reverse gum disease, dental health, by working with women here who people listen to to become the educators and we create small business for them including we can sell them toothpaste and things they need at way below cost they can distribute it or give it away whatever their business model will i did work on helping them learn how to run a business 
we were, Isaac went to dentists and asked them to buy into this, to be a part of the education in the less than, and, and I'm giving him so you have a really concrete example, but imagine having 360 something people making those kind of promises and going after leading something impossible, right? Beyond ableness and getting all the support and thinking. And I was driving the education parts of this, just bringing in thinking. They took it and they applied it. We managed to, in less than two years, I say we, because I got to be there. I, I didn't do any work, but education work. They had reduced the occurrence of tooth decay gum disease by 82%. And that was verified by the dentists and people who were working with this collective as a part of Soweto Township. But we also had over 10% of the families, which were women mostly leading it, put themselves into uh, not quite middle class because that would have taken a little longer, but they took themselves out of deep poverty and became leaders in the community because of their wisdom. Isaac was one of the people who got promoted into the top very quickly, but we had no trouble filling up the top of that uh, 5% to be uh, only 5% be white African and the rest be black Africans. It was an enormous task. So, I tell people, please don't use my term promises beyond ableness for stuff that's hard for you, but you're going to do it. That you promise to something that matters, it's huge, that if you don't do it, you think it will have a terrible effect on either the community or customers. I have people in companies like Seventh Generation who make commitments to parents as their buyer about creating diapers that wouldn't have to be thrown away and lotions and housekeeping that wouldn't create uh, skin care problems. And no one knew how to do this when we started, no one, but they promised to the customer, to the parents that they would learn how we had one guy who went back to school and got a degree on biochemistry because he felt that's a promise beyond ableness. So that term after I created it, um, I had the idea for quite a while, but once Stato Sesos, this was 25 years ago in South Africa, said, I'm gonna promise out loud to Mandela, we're gonna do this. Colgate got an award. They got the Constitution Award. And I got to go watch it be presented to Stato's, who is a white Greek, uh, but he obviously pushed in front of him all these amazing black Africans who had been led to the top and they told their story. That's what a promise beyond ableness is. Got it? <laughs> it's what a beautiful story. And, you know, it's it's fun to watch you tell the story and, and just see your face light up and, and the emotion you exude. And what what a nice way to accept an award and put the people that did the work, you know, showing that collective effort. Beautiful memory you have, Carol. Oh, well, I lived all these, right? They aren't interviews. Uh, all my stories, all five books I have, have a minimum of 13 stories and they're they're mixed with, with as many women as men and people of all races and all over the world. Uh, so if you live through that, if you're a journalist, I'm sure you forget it all. 
But I'm seeing Isaac Michiel's face in my head. Mm. I am seeing Stato's face, uh, Stato's face as Mandela is trying to hand him this and Stato's Beautiful. is pushing Isaac in front. So, All right, I'm going to switch to what I call my Fab Four, just four rapid questions, okay. whatever's sitting on that brilliant mind of yours. Okay, first question. Tell us something we don't know about Carol. It's hard to hard to come up with that, but most of you probably don't know that my father was an incredibly racist judge, and created which led me to be part part of what I was in South Africa, uh, and he also punished me severely because I would not say back the words to him. He wanted me to say to condition me to be racist. Since he's dead and my stepmother are now dead, I feel like I can tell that story. Second question, who's been a mentor for you? I don't believe in mentors. I think that's garbage because that means somebody else is transferring their wisdom to you. I had people who developed my capacity to think for myself. And I tell some of that story in The Regenerative Life, my fifth book about my grandfather who was Mohawk Iroquois descendant. And what he did is took me to quote, to work with him, to the pig farm, to the cotton fields, to uh, gardening, to restaurants, to pick up slop. And he told me, he, he didn't just tell me stories. He mostly had me engage and had me reflect. So I would say he was a resource to me, which is the term I use rather than mentor, because he returned me to myself as a source. I love that. What dreams or aspirations do you have for 2021? None. None. So, uh, none. I, d I don't use that. I'll tell you why. Most people image or, in, or what would you call it? Visioning. And I believe that it's anthropocentric. And most people would say that was fine. But what I want people to do and what I work on getting better at every day is imaging the working of life when it's whole and complete. And so if I'm with one of my kids or my grandkids, you know, I'm an old lady, I got lots of people in my life that if I image their essence and I watch them and I seek to see through and support them discovering their essence and then my work is to give them whatever they ask for or need to build their capability. I image rather than vision because I think we don't spend enough time looking at how it works and we create dreams and visions and they're all full of our old stuff. Mm -hmm. So what I hope to be better at this year and as long as I'm given the gift of a life is to image how life works and each person I touch works and be able to be a resource to that. I, I love that. I call that life by design. And I think so much in the same way that you do. I love the way you frame that, Carol. It's beautiful. Great. Okay, my last question, the most important. What do you want your legacy to be? I don't believe in legacies either. Um, because that's all about me. What I am interested in is I think I'm a part of a lineage that's and most of my work comes from ancient spiritual teachings, which run across all kinds of things, including my uh, grandfather's Mohawk tradition uh, and work I did with Sri Aurobindo and the mother, work with Socrates, work with David Bowman, Thomas Kuhn. I am standing on their shoulders. 
I believe they have a lineage, of, a lineage, which is different than a legacy, that is seeking and has a beautiful river running through many, many lives. And what I hope to be is able to, as I die, be conscious of the lineage which is in others' hands and was never mine anyway. I just So I hope no one talks about anything I did. They talked about maybe you know, the capability I help give people to be able to carry forward a lineage. That's beautiful. Carol, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> You're, you know what I love about you the most is I love that I can ask a question and you're like, okay, I like that word, but I don't use it. And this is why. So you, you've taught me so much in such a short time that we've been chatting. And I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it was. I appreciate you spending time with me today and chatting with me today. And I don't know how many years you are old on this earth, but you have a youthful spirit. And yeah. I love that you're just going to keep leading and teaching us. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Deb Crow. I really enjoyed being with you. Me too. So we're going to put information below in the podcast episode description so you can find Carol on the internet and have access to her books and her podcasts and her blog. And if you like this episode, we'd love for you to give us a rating and a review. And as always, thank you for spending time with us on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.